Welcome to the Ask the Experts podcast. Here's Karen Bhatia. I am Karan Bhatia. This is Ask the Experts. Thank you so much for joining me today. We have a very special guest. It's the founder and president of Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship, also known as BKFC. You've seen BKFC's rise in combat sports. They're holding events all over the world. They've signed big name fighters under the BKFC umbrella. And I'm going to be talking to David Feldman about his journey to create this brand. In 2010, he tweeted out, hey, BKFC is coming. Well, it took a little bit longer than that. And there were some struggles along the way, including physical problems that David Feldman had and mental health issues that he had to overcome. He even had thoughts of suicide at one point because it was so tough to get this promotion off the ground and everything else he was dealing with. But to David Feldman's credit, he was able to get the help he needed, turn everything around, and turn BKFC into what it is today. In addition, we're going to talk about one of the biggest signings for BKFC, and that is Paige Van Zandt. She was supposed to fight earlier this year. That fight fell through. We're going to have the official announcement for her next fight. And there's also been a lot of rumors about Nate Diaz coming under the BKFC umbrella after his last fight in UFC. He said he wants to go into boxing. BKFC would be a natural fit. I asked David Feldman about that. He's going to provide some clarity and let us know if we're going to see Nate Diaz fighting in BKFC. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the founder and president of Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship, David Feldman. I am Karan Bhatia, joined by David Feldman. He is the BKFC founder, president, and we have a lot to talk about with everything that, that they're doing. David, how are you doing, my friend? And I'm looking forward to talking to you about your journey and everything that BKFC is doing. And I feel like we're, we're right there where it's there's so much more to come. And that's what I'm excited to learn about as well. But wanted to take it a step back for a sec. I know your father was was a boxing trainer, Marty Feldman. I, you were a professional boxer, four and, oh, four and one, four knockouts. Um, not a bad record there. Um, it must have been hard to make it down to uh, welterweight, but we will talk about that. I, I know that, you know, this this is part of your family heritage. And something you posted on social media in 2010, you said bare knuckle boxing coming soon. That was in 2010. We're talking now over a decade later, and, and we obviously have bare knuckle boxing here. But it wasn't an easy journey. And I know you had to approach many different state athletic commissions and to make this thing happen. What, what was the journey like to get this thing off the ground? You know, at, at first it was just um, so I actually did an event in 2011. Um, August 5th, 2011 at the Fort McDowell Casino in Arizona, a native casino. I did one bare knuckle fight with an amateur MMA un undercard and we sold it out real fast, like 5,500 tickets. And um, we had 700,000 people stream the event um, and, and the site ended up crashing. It was a, it was a new site that was for um, streaming back then. Obviously things have evolved so much more since then, but this was back then when it was just getting rolling and it crashed. But after that event, I was like, Holy crap, man, I got something here. Like this is, this is lightning in a bottle. So let me just go around to other athletic commissions. You know, after I did one, it's going to be easy now. And, you know, um, seven years later, I ended up getting approval from um, Wyoming for uh, doing our first event, June 2nd, 2018. In that interim, we pitched 28 states, some of them multiple times. So we actually pitched um, 68 times. We pitched 
bare knuckle fighting in front of commission 68 times, 68 no's, and then we finally got a yes. So it's funny because I, I, I said on another interview, I was like, I was like, imagine asking a girl out 28 times, you're going to get arrested, right? So I was just like, finally, I was like, at the end of the road, I was like, I'm just going to, I'm going to have to kick people's doors down because this is something, this can be something. Obviously in that interim, you know, I, I stopped a little bit. I, I was in, during that whole time I was promoting boxing and mixed martial arts events. Um, and I was like, look, I can't keep doing this. And then Rolling Stone magazine, men's journal, um, uh, publications like that would call me for an interview about the underground bare knuckle fighting I was doing, which I stopped. And then I was like, all right, well, let me do another one. So I did another one. I just did whatever it took to get people to talk about it. So then eventually we, uh, we got very lucky, um, talking to Brian Patterson from the state of Wyoming, the athletic commissioner out there. And he said, look, I love it. Let's do it. So then we almost got to the finish line. And then the governor came in and said, no, we can't do this. And then um, we did some type of maneuvering. And then a month later we were approved. And then two months later, we did our event, June 2nd, 2018, trending number one on Twitter. Um, just every publication in the world was talking about us then. And, and you know, not knowing really the pay-per-view business too well, you know, being trending number one on Twitter and never, never everybody talk about you. At the end of the fight, we were like, man, we must have made millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Find out later that, every you know, everybody illegally streamed this and stuff like that. But we did okay. And then we just um we just kept pushing forward. And right now on, uh, we have two events coming up and then we have our 50th event, which will be December 3rd, um, of this year at the hard rock casino in Hollywood, Florida will be our 50th bare knuckle event. Congratulations on, on making it to 50 events and a lot more ahead. And, and obviously it wasn't an easy journey and you, you really had to, to push to get this thing going. I know one thing you mentioned about one of the first events was on an ice skating rink and it was in a, in Wyoming, as you mentioned, and not the highest population over there. And, and you figured out a way to get this going. And, and a lot of the stuff I like to talk about with, with guests on the show is just like journey and process. And obviously you have to keep going, but the biggest thing is just maybe taking that first step. It doesn't matter if it's an ice skating rink. It doesn't matter if there's not a lot of people watching would you agree with that if you know people are listening to this on their own journey just just take that first step and build from there i mean you have to you know there's a saying that goes out there if you if you stay in the same place you're not going anywhere right just put one foot in front of the other and you know if you listen to no like no to me now like a no is actually like a yes to me because i'm like now it's a challenge like you say no to me and i'm like okay how do i make that a yes and i'm um you know getting way way better at selling this thing now um we just did the big sports hell conference in monaco and just signed up over 60 different countries to just to um air bare knuckle fighting championship for 2023 just it's just amazing but i mean to get to that journey it is it's just giving it that shot. If you have an idea, go for it. I mean, the worst thing in the world that can happen is they say no. Like, and that's it. Like, that's the worst, right? What's the, you're going to lose a little bit of money and they're going to say no, but what's the best thing that can happen? You know, you can leave a legacy. You can make, you know, tons of money for you and the people around you and, you know, the team around you, you can do that. You can, you know, you can chase your dreams and then catch your dreams. You know, I'm one of the, you know, not a lot of people that actually had a dream, you know, went through getting my dream broken a million times and, and, and realizing my dream. So, and it's not realized completely yet, but I mean, I have a, a great team around me. Like I said, I have, you know, guys that have been here since the beginning, like the beginning of this thing back in 2010, when I said bare knuckle boxing coming soon, 
and everybody thought I was crazy. I think I had, it's funny. I think there was three likes or something like that on that <laughs> post <laughs> back then. And, you know, and now here we are, we're, uh, we're talked about for every free agent that, you know, that comes out of the mixed martial arts world and a lot of the boxing world right, right now. Um, we just signed a, um, I can't drop the name yet because we have to do the official release on Monday, but we just signed former two-time boxing world champion, um, currently still active fighter. Um, he's going to ha have a big fight for us in February. Um, and we have another, another one coming as well. All these, uh, you know, it's sometimes when like pinch me, is this stuff really happening? Because like guys that I dreamed of meeting like at Diego Sanchez or, or, um, anyone like that, that I'm like, damn, they're fighting for me now. Like it's crazy, but, um, you know, it's, it was a journey. And I like that you use that word journey. Cause I talked to another lady the other day and did a big interview with a well-known, um, director. They're going to do, we're going to start this, uh, docu-series, but anyway, it was, uh, he used the word journey and the journey, right? The journey is you're going to have hills and peaks and valleys. And as long as you're strong enough to just not cave into the nose, you're going to be in good shape. Uh, I'm looking at the post here, June 28th, 2010, David Feldman, bare knuckle boxing coming soon, three likes and three comments. And so you remember that correctly. And then obviously it's been a, a huge journey since then. You mentioned hearing no so many times. And, and I'm just curious because not only do you have to convince state athletic commissions to allow these bare knuckle boxing events to happen, but as you grow, you're going to want to get sponsors and advertisers and people from all different walks of life. And there's obviously going to be a hesitation from people who maybe don't know the ins and outs of what BKFC is or that these are trained fighters who are also defending themselves. What were some of the things that these entities said to you as the reason they weren't interested in, and how did you go? Um, how did you take those objections and flip that no into a yes? Well, you know, imagine being an athletic commission, right? And you got this, this kid over here who's telling you, I'm coming in and look, bare knuckle boxing, it's not as dangerous as boxing or mixed martial arts. And you're looking at me like I got three heads. You're like, what is this guy talking about? And back then I didn't have the data to back it up that I do now. Back then I would, what I would do though, is I would tell them to come over to a wall and I would say, punch the wall with your bare hand. And they would just like kind of touch it. And then I would put a boxing glove on him. I say, now hit the wall and they would hit it a lot harder. And, and I would go, you know, that's kind of my whole case right here. Like with a boxing glove on, you're going to have the courage and fortitude and everything to punch harder with it. Cause you're not in fear of breaking your hand with the bare knuckle. You are, it's just natural. You're not going to punch as hard. You're not going to punch as often. It's going to be more of the sweetest science, not just the sweeter science. So you're going to actually calculate your punches more. And, you know, I did that. I, I went, I, I did this, um, big, um, uh, punches per square inch. I, I, I did all the, I, I had, a um, a guy that, that did crash test dummies for automobile industry to help me with that exercise. So I got all that done and you know, it's it, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's hard to convince someone when I didn't have any real data or I didn't have the fights that I did. So it was, that's why it was really hard for me. You know, the, the nose were, I just think people are going to break their hands. They're going to get more concussiveness. They're going to, you know, they're going to break their facial. Um, they're going to get a lot of facial fractures. They're going to get cut to pieces and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was everything that they could say. And at the end of the day, they were wrong about everything except for we do have more lacerations. We absolutely do. But we have um, plastic surgeons on staff at each and every one of our events that stitch these guys up before they go home. 
We have less concussive and subconcussive damage to the to the fighters. We have less facial fractures, and we have less um, hand breaks than boxing or, or mixed martial arts at this point. And our physician, our our CMO, our chief medical officer, is Dr. Don Muzi, who was for years the president of the association of the ringside association of ringside physicians. So he's pretty much was the number one top ringside physician in all of the United States, and. Um, you know, that was to kind of know like the perception of, uh, no, they can never get this legal. And, and it's funny because going back to that time, I believe it was in um, 2012 after I did the 2011 fight, I went to a UFC event and I jumped over the barricade and I tapped Dana White on the shoulder and I said, Hey, did you hear about that bare knuckle fight? He goes, Yeah, I heard about that. I said, I'd love to talk to you. I said, I had 700,000 people watch it. He's like, You'll never get that legal. You'll never get that sanction. You'll never get that going. And I was like, isn't that what they told you? I see at the top. And I was like, I can't believe I just said this to him, but you know, here we are, um, you know, 10 years later, I'm not saying we're at the top by any means, but we're still, we're, we're talked about in the same sentence as the UFC now. So that's part of, don't let anyone throw you off course, man. Stay, stay your course, man. Stay your course. But the big objections were, they just thought it was too brutal. And now we're still getting those objections, but when we have those objections now, I have the data to back it up that states that we're not. We're not any more dangerous. I'm never going to say we're safer, right? Because as you know, you've been in, in boxing for a long time. Anytime you get two men or women in the middle of a ring punching each other with gloves, without gloves, it's not safe. It's just not safe. But it's no more dangerous than boxing or mixed martial arts. I wanted to ask you actually about when you did meet Dana White, I had read that story that you said to him, I'll see you at the top. And obviously you guys are still growing, but you've made a massive splash since then. Have you had any communication with Dana White? What's your relationship like with Dana White now? No, I don't, I don't really have a relationship with him. I do have a relationship with a couple of the top execs at, at the UFC who have um, allowed some of their fighters to fight for us. You know, I think the main thing about why we're, why we are being successful is we stay in our own lane. And I mean that like respectfully too, we don't talk about other organizations. We don't go for other organizations, fighters, obviously when they become a free agent, we're all over them, but we just mind our own business and we're correct. Our, our, we feel anyway, our real only competition is ourselves. And if we can be better, if we can have better production, we can put on better fights and get better sponsors. And it's just us right now. And I think that's why we have a great relationship um, with them and actually with Bellator as well, because Bellator lent us their, their number one or number two fighter um, MVP um, to fight for us in London. So I think just minding our own business, staying in our own lane is getting us uh, a lot further than people thought we would get to. It certainly can, because one thing we know about combat sports is it's a very fragmented type of thing. And, and that's an issue sometimes when people are stuck in their own lane. But if, if promoters, network executives, um, executives of leagues, things like that can work together, have a respectful dialogue and, and also bring up, bring together these cross promotions. We as fans win. And that's a great thing. I, I wanted to talk to you about some of the fighters that are under the BKFC umbrella. Um, of course, one of the, the big names uh, that was a UFC fighter was Paige Van Zandt. She had a big following. She still does have a big following following. And obviously that's going to help get eyeballs uh, to BKFC. Um, wh what was the thought process in, in signing Paige? And, and do you feel like she's delivered on, 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 on your investment in her? Yeah. I, I mean, the big idea about getting Paige Van Zandt was, was not that we're getting Paige Van Zandt, the best fighter in the world. We're getting Paige Van Zandt, probably the biggest female personality in combat sports at that time. And we thought that it would bring a lot of crossover fans to us, not 
just from fighting, but also from, she was a uh, sports illustrator, swimsuit model. She was um, on Dancing with the Stars. She does her own fan site. So she's got a lot of fans on her own. And we thought that that would be a great way to get people outside of the fight world to watch this thing. And it was the most money I ever spent on an event at that time. And it was the first event that we actually made pretty decent money on. So that investment absolutely paid off for us. She was great for us. You know, when we brought her in, we, I think we probably paid double than any other promotion would have paid at that time. But for us, it worked because people were saying, how's this girl that's the swimsuit, you know, model and, and I'm dancing with the stars and things like this going to fight bare knuckle. Like the, you know, the curiosity was like, let me check this out. And I think that's why we did so well with it. And that's why it was a, it was successful acquisition for us. The one thing I've said is that, uh, and I've said this consistently, fighters from other backgrounds, let's, let's say it's YouTubers, influencers, anyone, uh, I think that's a great thing when they come into combat sports because they're allowing that uh, that audience that they've built up, the work that they've put in to build that audience to now come watch them compete. I think that's a good thing. And, and in Paige's case, I mean, she was also competing at the highest level in UFC as a fighter, um, and, and she was able to do that in UFC and now in BKFC. We had expected to see her on the London card and then maybe again later in the year, uh, when do you think we'll see uh, Paige Van Zandt uh, fighting in BKFC again? Uh, she'll fight uh, February 27th for a Knucklemania 3 card. Uh, that one will take place in um, in New Mexico. So that's going to be a great card. We got some sensational uh, bouts on that card. It'll, it'll be our biggest event by far. Um, the most talked about one, I believe, too. We have some really, really big names that are going to that, that are going to be on the top three fights of that card. Um, I'm excited about that one. I'm excited about the whole entire year, but that's when we're probably going to see her back. That that sounds like an exciting event. Another fighter I have to ask you about. Of course, we were talking about fighters who were in the UFC. We in the UFC. We last saw Nate Diaz in September against Tony Ferguson. I know that you've said you were 100% interested in Nate Diaz, and that even BKFC was maybe aggressively interested in getting him signed. Will we see Nate Diaz fight in BKFC? Um, I hope so. I do hope so. We're uh, we're they're in, still inside of a renegotiation window with the UFC right now. So, although I was able to talk to them, I wasn't able to really talk numbers and deal points, and I didn't want to violate anything that was going on with the UFC. As you said, as I said earlier, I do have a good relationship with them, so I didn't want to step on their toes. But if he does become a real free agent, and you know, outside of this window we will probably end up grabbing him because I think that we're going to pay him, you know, what we think that he's worth. And again, he's worth more for us than he is for another organization. Like if he goes to another mixed martial arts organization, it's just like, okay, Nate Diaz is fighting MMA again. But if he goes to a boxing outfit, they're going to be like, wow, Nate Diaz is boxing. Or if he goes to bare knuckle, they're going to be like, man, Nate Diaz is fighting bare knuckle. Like it's just going to mean a little bit more at either one of those sports. So I think he's probably going to go outside of that MMA window and hopefully he lands with us. And I'm, I'm confident we can make it happen. That's definitely on trend. We're seeing fighters who were originally MMA fighters now trying boxing, trying bare knuckle, trying all of these things. And I'm sure that that trend is going to continue because as you mentioned, it's interesting for us as combat sports fans to say, oh, well, okay, if you take away these tools from this fighter, how do they do? Do they do better or worse? And it makes it interesting. Um, it, we, we saw Anderson Silva do that recently, go back into boxing, uh, something he hadn't done professionally at the highest at a high level for many years. Um, are there any other fighters that, that you could tease that you could tell us a little bit that maybe soon join Joining the BKFC umbrella. I mean, you know, we're, we're really going after every top free agent in mixed martial arts and, you know, some of them in boxing. I mean, we made a, a bid to try to talk to Tyson Fury. He's got three more boxing matches that he has to do. 
but we want to put on some of the biggest events. We've got a, a great partner with Triller right now and um, with them, with the funding that's going to come with them, with um, they're going to be going public here in the next, uh, I don't know, three to six weeks. And when they do, it's going to open up a lot of doors for us. And with that, with that, we're going to be able to go after every single um, free agent in combat sports and we want to put on the biggest and best fights we possibly can so i don't have any real teases for you right now but i will tell you that we're going to be in the mix for any free agent that pops any big free agent any let me put it like this any needle murder any needle mover if, if they're going to move the needle there they will be talking to bkfc and speaking of of moving the needle, obviously these fa- these fighters who do that often have a following. They hope to get compensated. You've been able to compensate fighters in in the way they need to, but fighter pay is still a big issue overall in in boxing, in in MMA, all throughout. We know this is an issue. What are your thoughts on on fighter pay, and and how do we improve this across boxing, MMA, all of combat sports? I mean, I guess it's just you know it's it's the mindset of of the the promoter really look my thing is like this and i said this to my whole team not even talking about the fighters now just talking about the team i said look i want i want enough to be able to so i let's rewind for a second prior to the trailer deal i got offered a really lot of money to buy this company but i david feldman was going to make a lot of money and none of my team was and i turned it down i turned it down for less than half i'm going to make less than half now for myself but my team is all going to make money and that's just the mindset I have. I want everybody to eat, right? I mean, how much do you need to eat, right? Like how big of a house do you need? How many cars do you need? How many of that do you need? If you can spread it around and make everybody else happy as well. And that's what, that's my mindset of being a promoter. Look, if you're coming here and you're fighting your butt off with us and you're really doing everything we need to promote this thing, I really want you guys to eat and you should be paid more. And that's why we, you know, came up with the, um, first ever combat sports pension plan, which we didn't actually launch yet, which we're launching officially in January because there was a lot more to it than I thought when I said, yeah, let's do this pension plan. I thought it was just money. It's so many different regulatory things they have to do, which we knocked everything out and that will launch in January. But for me, like I said, it's like everybody needs to eat. I mean, and if you're going to help, you especially need to eat. And if you're not going to help, well then maybe you don't take part in that pension plan or maybe you don't take part in, we have um, some sponsorships that are giving out a lot of money to the fighters now as well. Um, but, you know, I get, I think it's all in the mindset of, of the promoter and, you know, not saying that they're greedy, but how generous they are. And that is a big part of it. And the fact that you're working on a pension, uh, I think is great. I think, I think more, the more that we can provide these fighters like healthcare, things like that, I think that'll uh, really help because you don't want these fighters to feel like they're on their own. And that goes for all, all of combat sports. Um, and, and that actually leads me into my next question. Of course, fighter safety is very important. I know, I know you spoke about some of the things that you guys are doing, and I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about it. Um, we've had tragedies in boxing, in BKFC, in MMA, all throughout this sport. And there's every time, a fighter goes into whatever it is, a ring, an octagon, a cage, they are risking their lives and they're doing it for our entertainment as fans. Obviously there's financial gain for them and there's, uh, there's glory and there's other things like that. But at the end of the day, I mean, these are warriors risking their lives and we all want them to come out safe on the other side and go home to their families. Uh, There's been things talked about in, 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 you know, recent memory. And and I hope that there's more protocols set in place. I hope that there's more people, um, medical staff on on site at events. I I would love the culture to change in, in fighting in terms of if a fighter, for example, is not feeling good in the corner, maybe the trainer could step in and say, okay, well, you know, you've had enough or referee stopping the fight sooner your thoughts overall on on fighter safety and and maybe ways to improve it 
Oh, I think I, I think where it, where it starts is with their trainer. I think it starts with their trainer, meaning there's a lot of guys out there that are, oh, as you mentioned, my father, he trained seven world champions. He's been in this for a long time. And the one thing he had was great communication with the fighter where they felt comfortable. Like if he said right hand, they threw a right hand immediately. They didn't wait that split second because if you wait a split second, it's not there. So they had trust in him. He was well-schooled. He knew what he was talking about, as there's a lot of those guys out there like that. Manuel Stewart, Freddie Roach, guys like that that really want to teach boxing and teach the fundamentals to these fighters. But there's other guys that take a guy off the street, come in a boxing gym, never got hit in their mouth in their life, don't know what it's like, and they're putting these guys in fights when they're not ready for it. And I think that something needs to be done to where these trainers need to be more qualified. There has to be some type of qualification or licensing that allows them to get a trainer's license, not just fill out a form at the weigh-in and pay 20 bucks, and now you can be a, a boxing trainer. Because you literally have these fighters' lives in your hand, and you have to take it more seriously. That's where I think it starts from. And then it runs up the ladder. Look, the promotions have to be liable too as well. Like we did have that tragedy with Justin Thornton and um, we did everything we could for his family. We launched a Justin Thornton Memorial Scholarship Fund. We're going to keep him in our memory. And if that ever happens again to anybody, we're going to do the same type of protocol with their families. But we did raise our medicals to the to meet the guidelines of the Association of Ringside Physicians all across the board, whether a state regulates to, uh, or requires that or not, we're still going to keep our medicals at a certain at a certain place we have four four or five ringside positions at every single fight obviously the emts and everything else that we need and we look after these guys um you know after the fights as well like for instance our dr don muzi as i say he stays up all night long the night of the fight and keeps his phone on if any fighter even has a headache is their hand hurts anything they call him the night of the fight and he goes to the room and cares for him and if they need medical attention he gets it for him but i think it starts with the trainers and some type of qualification and then it runs all the way up the ladder to the promoters and obviously the athletic commissions need to be you know do what they're doing and some of them need to do a little better and some of them are doing just phenomenal. And then uh, we hope that the trend of more attention to fighter safety continues and even into drug testing and even, even fans and enthusiasts of the sport, you, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to say, Oh, that guy's a quitter. Well, it might be a good thing for that person to quit that day. Or if someone pulls out of a fight for mental health or physical health, that's probably a good thing because the last thing you want is someone getting into uh, an octagon or a ring and not being hundred percent ready to go and then get seriously hurt. So I think that, that, that should be a universal thing uh, throughout all of combat sports. I just, had two more questions for you one about you personally and one about bkfc as a whole for you personally we talked about your hunger and your drive and and just you as, as an entrepreneur here and then you're working obviously in in your passion which is combat combat sports here um from where you were in 2010 when you put that out on social media you've you've made it a, a big way i know you have a long way to go but how do you continue to have that hunger now that you're tasting you know you're you're, you're tasting a little bit of the success you're, you're getting up there um in terms of big name promotions and, and things like that so how do you keep that hunger alive Live for yourself it, it's all 100 percent it's legacy right now it's not money look i've seen some money and you know what can you spend like i said that's why i said about being generous with the fighters because what can you spend like how big of a house do you need or how big of this do you need everybody needs to have some of it so for me it's all about legacy and i i, I talk to the team all the time and because they're always like when are you going to stop and bring somebody else in and i'm like i don't know when you know i'm going to know when that's going to be when 
I'm talking to more common people about bare knuckle fighting and they know what it is and they know what BKFC, then I know I made my mark in combat sports. But until I really make my mark in combat sports, I'm going to stick with this thing. You know, it's been, it was a tough journey since 2010. I was actually just telling my, uh, one of my colleagues here. I mean, they didn't know, like, again, two, uh, six years ago, I was at a very bad point in my life, man. I, uh, I was broke. I invested in this business. It went south. I got diagnosed with cancer. I was having some other problems at, at home and I drove to a bridge and I was going to jump off of a fucking bridge because I was like, this is it, man. Like, I just can't take this anymore. And I made a video to myself at the bottom of that bridge. And I said, I'll never be in this place again. And I'm going to, you know, do all this stuff for my family and I'll, blah, 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 blah. But go on what you said with mental health, right? People don't know what's wrong with somebody. And I didn't have about a depression. I just had a time there where I was at a very low point in my life. And I turned it around, man. And look where we're at now. That's where I say, like, you can really, truly be or do anything you want in life if you try hard enough and put all the work into it and don't listen to anybody tell you you can't because there's so many people still to this day every day that that's never going to work it's never going to work it's never going to work well we had an article from forbes magazine that said we're the next billion dollar combat sport i mean that was surreal for us right something like that and and having everywhere that we go people are telling us we're the number two or three combat sports promotion in the world right now that's phenomenal but it's not going to be far, far out um, to where it's going to be time to know that that we made our mark and maybe somebody else can come in so I can spend more time with my family. But it's been a hell of a ride, man, and I'm so happy about where we are now and where we're going is even is even better. Thank you for for sharing that. And I'm sorry that you had to go through that in terms of the the, me the medical issues. And then, of course, the the mental health. And I'm glad that you got the help you needed. And hopefully anyone who's watching this, uh, if you are feeling that you do get the, the help you need from a professional, from friends and family, from people around you to, to turn it around. And, and you're a testament to someone who addressed your mental health and, and physical health. And you were able to to turn it around. And, and it does. That does lead me to my last question here. You, you talked about the future of BKFC. Obviously, there there's a huge global opportunity here because I, I could say personally, I, I know people overseas there there's huge combat sports fans that need to be served with, with a great product. And, and they're getting that in different places in boxing and UFC and other forms of MMA. But I know that, that you have ambitions in that, in that world as well. Um, I know that you're also signing fighters from the, the likes of Muay Thai stars. You mentioned a, a former world champion in boxing. Um, you want to bring in people from different, uh, different uh, walks of life to compete on under the BKFC umbrella. So final question for you, what does the future hold for, BKFC. You know, on that note, it's I, I I classify BKFC as like the like the melting pot, right? The melting yeah. pot of combat sports because you can be a Muay Thai fighter, you can be a uh, a boxer, you can be a mixed martial artist, you can be a kickboxer, and you can all find that even ground right here because it eliminates so many of the different attributes of combat sports and it also melts a lot of them together. But in 2023, our plan is to do. Um, 12, what we call toe the line shows. And that's like our preliminary club show level show. We're going to have 12 of those. We're going to do 24 BKFC events in the United States. And then we're going to do six events in the UK, six events in Thailand, six events in Latin America, six events throughout Europe. And if the things subside in Russia, um, we're going to do six to 12 events in Russia as well. Um, we're going to do a big, big promotion over there. So the global expansion is real. Like I said, we got, we got 60 plus platforms at our, um, at our, at, at our meeting, we just had in Sportel in, in, in Monaco. So, I mean, they, 
They love this sport. It's adaptable. See, I think the one thing I'm just going to say on that is this is so adaptable to everybody in the world because everybody, man or woman, black, white, Chinese, doesn't matter what nationality you are, doesn't matter what you know ethnicity you are, it doesn't matter. What matters is the fact that everybody in the world knows what a bare knuckle punch is. Whether you've seen a bare knuckle fight, you've been in a bare knuckle fight, you get it so it's closer to you. Now we're just bringing it in a, a, a much more professional atmosphere, which much more well-schooled professional athletes. But, you know, it's something that's very adaptable to everybody. And I think that's why we've had so much success in our growth so far, because everybody can kind of adapt to what a bare knuckle fight is. David Feldman, founder, president of BKFC. I want to congratulate you on your journey so far. Thank you for sharing your story. And obviously there's a lot to be written still for BKFC and for you personally. Thank you so much. And I very much appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. And that brings us to the end here. Thank you so much to David Feldman for sharing his story, the ups, the downs. And it seems like there's going to be a lot more ups now with the success of BKFC. And thank you. For listening if you want to support the show please follow us on social media you can follow my personal channels on twitter instagram tiktok and elsewhere it's at karen batia c-u-r-r-a-n-b-h-a-t-i-a you can also subscribe to my youtube page youtube.com backslash karen batia you can also follow the podcast channels on twitter and instagram at a-t-e underscore podcast you can also subscribe on apple Podcasts. leave a five-star review thank you again for listening for ask the experts i am karen batia thank you for listening to ask the experts with karen batia 